Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson. Here on a Thursday in January is 2023. Gentlemen, let's uh before we dive into some Nebraska stuff, did you both watch all of the games on Saturday? Not all of the games, but the two college football playoff games on Saturday. No. Did you watch any of it? I watched I watched mainly Michigan TCU, not so much Georgia Ohio State. Gotcha. BC. Uh I watched uh almost all Michigan TCU and about half of uh uh Georgia Ohio State the the second half. So I, I saw what mattered. But I, I'm old now where I, I don't need to see I don't want to see all of it. Give me like the give me to the fourth quarter. The condensed and then, versions. Yeah, I, I, I know what's happening by social media and then I pop in to watch it for myself those last uh, 30 minutes or so. Move yeah. me move me ahead in the game due to, due to time constraints. That's where exactly. I am now. I, I wandered into the second quarter of TCU Michigan and then like wandered into the third quarter and then fourth quarter of Ohio State and Georgia. And I think BC is absolutely correct. Like I don't, I don't know that there's any reason I needed to watch all of those games, but I, I caught what mattered. I got the, the larger picture of the whole thing um, didn't see as much Ohio state, I guess, outright dominance um, that they sort of had early on in that game, but uh, interesting results there. I'm not surprised that Michigan lost. I didn't, like, you know, for the number two team in the country, like I just, I never felt like they were that good. Um, and TCU just has like that whole aura about them where they're only lost this year is that insane Kansas state big 12 championship game. Uh, and it just feels like Max Dugan is, or Duggan, Duggan is just uh, whatever he needs to do to get it done. He's able to get it done. Like they're, they got a real team of destiny and then they're going to run into this Georgia team. And it just feels like is a heavy, heavy favorite. It's, it's remarkable to watch like a Sonny Dykes coach team, just like pummel other teams. 
Having because that's watched, not what people saw out in Berkeley. Having watched his Cal teams just struggle to like play basic football, and all of a sudden he's like Vince Lombardi. I, I, it <laughs> kind of kind of remarkable to watch, and I think it goes to prove. Well, I mean, he had Jared Goff, so it, it's not like uh, he was hurting for a quarterback. But that that has been noteworthy to me. Is just like man, I can't. This is the same guy, and they. Uh, whether it was the three three five or whatever Michigan was doing offensively, they were. Uh, I was surprised that TCU was able to get after him that much. I was really expecting Michigan to to uh, really get to to be able to move the ball on the ground. And is it because Jim Harbaugh already had one foot out the door headed to the Denver Broncos? That's what I want to know. You think the Broncos? <laughs> No, I don't, but yeah. I've talked myself into it. I'm resigned to it. Really? Yes. Wow. Last, I don't know where BC landed on the whole thing. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with Jim Harbaugh with the Minnesota Vikings. So uh, I'm glad they didn't go that route, and I wish him the best of luck as he ends up with the Indianapolis Colts here uh, next season. So, BC, what do you uh, what'd you think of the games? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that the 3-3-5 three, three, is like – everywhere now it seems like and i know it's been around and stuff and we're paying more attention to it because tony white's associated with it so when you hear it it's like oh put your ears up gotta listen to this what are they saying about it however i don't think it's just attached to that it feels like suddenly it's like popped up way more than i ever heard about it before um and, you know mike mike leach um hired uh Arnett there at, at Mississippi State, the late Mike Leach, and and he runs a three three five, and his defense played very well in the bowl game. And then, um, you know, you see TCU, and even though that was a scoreathon type game, you have to say that scheme was disruptive and caused some oh, chaos yeah. to Michigan. And uh, so it's kind of a, it's like from the scene in Zoolander uh, when Hansel shows up and they, he says he's so hot right now. I feel like that's what the three three five is. It's become like the thing everybody's buzzing about a little bit. When you said the scene in Zoolander, is it bad that I immediately went to the gasoline fight that happened? <laughs> no, that's a good movie? scene too. That's a good. That's it. That's a good scene too. Um, although I, that was one of those movies I talked up to somebody, and then we watched it uh, recently, and it was. I was like, yeah, it's okay. Like, it, have you ever talked <laughs> up a movie too much, and then you watch it back with somebody in the room? And you're like, yeah, maybe I, I was a little too, I, I went a little too high with praise on that. Uh, it tends to be more like cult classic type movies that I do that with. Like, I, I mean, I was earnestly trying to sell both of you on Boondock Saints, but it's not like you're getting, you know, a cinematic masterpiece when you tune into that if you either watch it. Um, the movie Clue comes to mind for some reason. Like, I'll, uh, I'll stand on a table and, and talk about stand Clue on all a day table. Long. Exactly. That's but, another uh, thing that's in vogue. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know that the movie Clue holds up if you didn't already enjoy it before watching it now in 2022. Have either of you seen that? No. Brunson and I don't get it. I don't know what the phrase is. We don't watch much TV. It was an 80s movie. <laughs> yeah. I assume that it was like force-fed to you as kids. <laughs> that's, a, that's around seven the years old, your parents are leaving you alone. Watch Clue. I'm always like two decades behind on movies. So that's approximately where I'm at probably. And like the cultural zeitgeist that I'm Oh, sorry. Up I'll on. let you get through platoon first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's bad. Um, but no, I have not. We're too busy reading poetry and stuff. So just oh, okay. give, give us a break. My intellectual coworkers <laughs> while I'm over here watching Clue. Yeah. What was what was the best random bowl game? Bringing this back to football that you guys watched, like not not the random. playoff, but like I found myself transfixed by that Kansas Arkansas Liberty Bowl. <laughs> that was pretty good. I only really watched the last few minutes of it so i can't say that for me i mean the only game like i watched a lot of alabama kansas state on saturday i watched a lot of tulane usc but i feel like that one um it'd be a cop out to say that answer but that was such a great finish and such a fun football game and then being like you know one of the officers of the willie fritz fan club i mean it was, you know, a, a real great moment for, for all of us as, you know, all seven of us in that fan club. It was pretty fantastic. I would imagine if I went to Tulane's campus now, as opposed to like 2016, people would know who Willie Fritz is, you know, when we walk around. I, I've told that story to you guys, right? We, we went to Tulane's campus, like asked random people if they knew who Willie Fritz was. He was their head football coach at the time. Nobody on campus knew. Talked to like 25 people. Tulane football is a lot bigger now than it was in 2016. <laughs> I bet at least one out of 25 would know. Yeah, probably. I would hope. He, he's doing the like the roll wave thing at like Pelicans games now. I bet that guy in Detroit that BC and I were served by was loving that. Yeah. Hmm. So Everything's just coming up. Will it? Maybe he's going to be the Saints' next coach. He's just going to jump from Tulane to the Saints. Somebody somebody finally got smart and hired him then. That'd be great. I'd be on board. BC, you got a game? Um, no, it's a Kansas game. I mean, just the great great game, uh, the way it finished, but also just it, not hilarious to Kansas fans, but just the hilarious ending when a guy <laughs> on their play there for the two, when he had, he had options and he, he just sailed it like 10 yards over the end zone. I mean, that – that, uh, that to me was uh, enjoyable as someone who didn't have a dog in the fight. Did Nebraska have an overtime game this past year? I don't think they did. No. It's, it's like the first time in a long time they didn't have an overtime game. Well, you know, this means we don't have to bust out the stat that they haven't scored in overtime since 2014. I was going to say, when they are in overtime games, they generally go pretty quickly. So People get real mad on Twitter when I just do the long thread of like, yeah, Nebraska hasn't scored. Here's how they haven't scored. And here's the games of which occurred. And these were the plays that were ran. Apparently, people don't like that. They don't want to be reminded of. You want to know the subject I'm passionate about that we could have a whole podcast at, on in the offseason? Old games on YouTube? Yes. You, that's Old concerts on YouTube? That also. Uh, <laughs> but uh, clock management. Um, and all actually, it's how people view clock management. And uh, I won't get all into it, but Jim Harbaugh was taking a lot of guff uh, at the end of the game, including from McDonough and the crew on the, they're like, why is he not using his timeout? And then they showed Jack Harbaugh on the stands and he's like, what's my son doing kind of expression. I can show the math on why he played that exactly right with his timeouts. People sometimes like to use their timeouts too early after they give up a chunk play on first down. And then they lose that time out for the next series of downs, and it ends up mathematically hurting them with the clock. 
anyway, I actually sat down and did the math on that, but I'll, I'll, I won't bore you with that. But I, I could talk about clock management and the discussions about it at the end of the game for like a half hour. So sometime in like April, let's, let's pencil that in. Did you, did you use common core with the math? <laughs> what? No, I, I just, I, do you know what common core is? No, I don't. <laughs> Runs, do you know? I do. I'm I'm waiting for that to come down the pike. So Common Core VC is the new style of which how math is taught. Okay. And it's a it's sort of about grouping and it's supposed to make it like easier to get to the final result. But they make all these kids show their work in the dumbest manner possible. Uh, and okay. it, it sort of just makes you like wonder if there's anybody out there that can just make nine plus nine eighteen without having some extra step in there or whatever it I would guess, be. Yeah. Uh, so I was I was curious as you did this math. It's, no. it's almost New Year's, and you're furiously doing math on the TCU Michigan game <laughs> to see if Jim Harbaugh did it right. And I I wanted I knew, to know if you're a Common Core disciple, but you're not. I knew, I knew he did it right, but I wanted to put it on paper, and I actually have like uh, sitting over here like a little scrap of paper that has like how much time they saved by the way he called his timeouts. But anyway, that's for I, it's. It's not that interesting, but I like to imagine that it's like a uh, you know the detectives that are putting together this major case, and you have this string bouncing around like a bulletin board of all the different ways that it could have played out based on the timing of everything. Is that correct? It, it's up to like that. I, I'm just looking at Brunson. He's got that expression like you guys got to rein it in, and we got to start talking about. We're like um, twelve minutes in. <laughs> I was I was actually watching BC kind of get after that ass <laughs> on social media about the, the clock. Pat forty. I got after yeah. Pat forty. Yeah. <laughs> I could, oh I could, no! I could hear BC saying it too. It's kind of like <laughs> the incredulous voice that he sometimes gets when something has just gone far, way too far. Yeah. I get, yeah. I get I kind saw, of emotional. Yeah. I saw it un- unfold, and I had no doubt that you were probably writing it out on a cocktail napkin sitting next to you somewhere. Connor, ha- Connor Happer had yeah. my back on that too. Like we were, we were both going hard on the pain and on social media about it. I'm sad I missed the Pat Forty thing. That's disappointing. He hasn't been relevant the last couple of years. Just like he wasn't really relevant before, you know, 2020. Well, I don't want to. I want to take shots, but around here, he's a he's someone you can take on, and, and most of the Nebraska fan base is going to have your back. You don't want to take shots <laughs> at a guy who's built his entire career taking shots at literally everyone else. Yeah, it, <laughs> I I got you. <laughs> You're too much of a good Samaritan, BC. Go after him. I'm not. I'm not a good Samaritan. Right. But anyway, I tried. Tried to egg him on. Didn't work. Look forward to that clock management podcast coming in May. That's what I'm. That, that was a big tease for that. Oh man, love it! All right, the clock management pod coming in May. It's going to be a standalone series, a four part <laughs> thing. And after the break, we're going to talk about deferring the kickoff. <laughs> Does tails ever fail? Yeah. Next, a podcast series. All right. Uh, let's let's get over to stuff that actually happened with Nebraska this week. There was the Under Armour All-American Bowl down in Florida. I I don't actually know where they play that game. Do they play that in Orlando? It's at the Camping World Stadium, Mike. Camping World Stadium is that in Orlando? That's the old Citrus Bowl, yeah. That's what I thought. All right. So that game happened there. Um, it 
was played at four o'clock in the afternoon and got preempted for around the horn and moved to ESPN two. So I thought that was maybe notable. I I don't know if the, the Under Armour Bowl is long for a future with two o'clock or four o'clock starts in the middle of the week getting moved to ESPN two, but we'll see how that goes. Ethan Nation and Cameron Lenhart commit to Nebraska. They had already signed paperwork with Nebraska. Cameron Lenhart, I think we thought was a pretty foregone conclusion. Uh, Ethan Nation, Brunt, I'm going to let you talk on this. That was a guy that popped up like the day of his like official visit to Nebraska. It's just a, a super unique story. And they end up getting that signature. And that's a guy who had a really good week talking to the people that were down there covering for 24 uh, seven in Orlando. Yeah, it was, it was actually the day of, he was getting a tattoo um, and gets a call from Evan Cooper and says, Hey, um, want to reoffer you what, you know, what is it going to take to get you up here? And he said, you know, I want to come see a campus. So Cooper says, okay, give me 10 minutes, uh, calls back in 10 minutes and says to Ethan nation, you have three hours to get to the airport, um, and, and get up here for a visit same day. So, uh, they finished the tattoo. He told me, um, what was the tattoo? Don't know. Didn't ask, uh, but it was finished and he got to the airport, made it to Nebraska. And, you know, for a guy that had a ton of offers, um, a lot of early offers, he kind of one of those guys that, you know, really blew up as a sophomore, um, kind of early junior year. And then I think some, a lot of schools kind of got scared off by his frame. Um, he's, he's a little on the slider side. We list him at five ten, but he's, you know, I, I don't know if this is a fair comparison because he had a lot more juice behind his name, you know, going into his senior season, but a little bit like a Malcolm Hartzog where guys probably schools probably didn't have him on their radar or, or you know, in, a, in a, any serious way because of concerns about his size. But like you said, I mean, that I, I think our people down in Orlando were pretty impressed with the ball skills, the toughness that he showed. And, you know, he, he ended up, you know, committing and signing. And it was kind of funny that after I talked to him after the visit, kind of said, okay, well, what's next for you? And, and <laughs> he said, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to announce my decision at the Under Armour Bowl. I'm, I'm going to take more visits after that. And I'm going to sign in February. And I was kind of like, well, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense um, on the, the, uh, the old schedule. So uh, obviously he had committed and signed and, and everything was already handled, but um, I think a good late ad for Nebraska a guy that is a pretty impressive athlete um, just maybe didn't have kind of the, the perfect measurements that programs look for. Yeah. And it, I think kind of Ramir Stewart in a similar category, another guy where it felt like the recruitment was really early on uh, as a sophomore and then teams maybe slowed down a little bit. And both of those guys, are coming to a secondary BC that is just chock full of bodies. And it's going to be really interesting how things sort of play out with Evan Cooper and what he wants to do with a defensive back room where I think they took five guys and they already had like a dozen or more coming back on scholarship. Uh, so they, they've really got to figure out what they're going to do with, with defensive back. Yeah. And obviously 
there's been we we're at the portion of the program where there's been the arrivals, the comings, and there's going to be the goings. There's going to be some more guys, especially, you know, after spring ball, I think some guys at various positions, but especially in the secondary, you're going to see how you kind of fit in where, where it looks like you're maybe uh, set up within this coaching staff. And, and then some guys are going to move on, uh, but it is very busy. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys uh, with, with starting experience coming back. I mean, Hartsog's going to be a tough guy to beat out. I don't care uh, that they're changing staffs and, uh, you know, obviously they're going to have their own uh, opinion on guys, but they're going to look at the film on Hartsog and they're going to say that guy, <laughs> He, he fights every down. He's going to be tough to beat out. I mean, Quinton Newsom is still there. I hesitate. I don't know if you guys are like this, though. I'm almost hesitant to talk about names sometimes now, even of current guys on the roster, because you don't know if by, like, 3 p.m. something changes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. we're, we're in that part with college football now where – I feel like I know Nebraska's roster pretty well as it is, but is it going to be that way tomorrow is another question. But there's all these interesting guys sort of like, like a Kobe Brett, you know, like guys like that who are still in the program and what, what could happen with them. Um, Javier Morton was a name that popped up. Tony White was talking about how he popped into his office and you kind of forget about him and like Kane Williams. I mean, there's all these interesting um, guys who, uh, are going to want to or think they should be part of the two deep and uh, there's only so much room. Yeah. And then, you know, you got to figure out who Evan Cooper sort of wants to keep around and, and all of those things. I mean, that's, that's the aspect of this that is going to get interesting really quick in the spring is sort of who emerges with this staff amongst the guys that are already on the roster. So we'll have plenty of time to cover that. Also at that game, Ethan Nation commits, Cameron Lenhart commits at the, you know, in the fourth quarter. He had committed to Nebraska before, stepped away when Eric Shenander was fired, the defensive coordinator, uh, you know, a couple weeks after Scott Frost was let go, reevaluated things, came back for a second Nebraska visit after Matt Rule was hired, went to go visit Maryland, ultimately signs with Nebraska. This is a guy that Andrew Ivins and our network here at 24-7 is really high on because of his intangibles, um, he does say that this is someone that you got to have a plan for. You can't just sort of be like, yeah, we'll get him to campus and we'll figure it out and try him in a couple different positions. Those guys tend to not really work out particularly well for Nebraska. And I think with Cam Lenhart, I'm going to be really interesting what that plan is. Is he? Are you going to get him here? You want to try to bulk him up to be a nose tackle? Can he play defensive end in this defense if he's only, you know, uh, six foot two or can he – is he going to play at the second level? So those are the sort of questions I have, but there's no question. This is a guy who has great intangibles. He's a captain at IMG Academy. Uh, he's someone that was really well liked by his teammates. He was productive and played a number of positions just based on need, whatever they needed him to do, he would go do. So I think from an intangible standpoint, he's a really big addition, uh, but I'm fascinated where he's going to fit on this defense. BC, I know you've talked to him a few different times and it's certainly changed from one coaching staff to another, I'm mm -hmm. sure. But where do you see a fit for Cam Lenhart? Yeah, it's a really tough question. He's, he's really interesting because he actually started his high school career. Like he was a Mike linebacker at mm -hmm. one point, even, I mean, and so he's, he's seriously has played like every spot on the second level, every spot up front. Um, 
my answer simply is I don't know. I don't know. Like it's it that, and the, I think you make a good point though. He is one of those guys where I feel like um, you sort of pretty quickly got to establish this is where you are and then try to build that up. Let him see, go to work. Yeah. yeah. See if it can take off. Uh, but one of the things uh, with this staff that we're going to have to get used to is if we, those people who like their labels, it's going to be very tough for them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there's going to be all sorts of guys who are sort of hybrid players. Like maybe they're here, maybe they're there. In some cases that even could be on either side of the ball, you know? Um, so I think, um, we're going to have to be very patient and sort of like, that'll be the fun part of like spring and fall camp though. When we get to it is like, as you start to learn, Oh, this is where they're actually specifically have this guy. And you, and we start to slot that out a little bit. That'll be really interesting, but I don't have a good answer as to where Len Hart plays, but I'll, what I do know is that he played at a very high level in New Jersey and played against some of the top competition. Like he played against like Caleb Williams back there. Um, and then you go to IMG and like you said, he was a captain. And I mean, that that's a pro program with a, a roster full of guys who are expecting to play big time college football. So that says something about sort of his personality and a leadership ability that he was able to ascend to that position. Absolutely. Brunts, I, I'm curious what you think of this. It, to me, just looking at what Nebraska did in the 2023 class so far, heavy emphasis on going out and getting guys on defense. I mean, I feel like so much of this class is up front and in the back end. You have those five defensive backs. You have multiple players they went out and got up front. I mean, a lot of their def their transfer portal additions have been on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, how Are you surprised by that? And how do you feel like they've done in terms of accumulating talent to kind of restart things over there? Because for so long, we've talked about a lot of the same names on Nebraska's defense. Turns out those guys can't keep getting extra years of eligibility after all. Um, and some of them have moved on. Some of them have just moved on otherwise. But it, it feels like there's a bit of a start over that's going to be happening with Nebraska's defense in the coming years. Yeah, I, I have on my my daily listen through to Matt Rule's press conference from signing day. I, he was talking about just signing day. Are you done with the opening presser? Yeah. I'm, you I'm don't ever just throw that one on for funsies? Play the hits. Um, no, he, he talked about that and the volume of players that they got and that they were they were accumulating athletes. And it gets back to the the point that BC was making, which I think is, is an important one, that they're going to mix and match guys. They're going to try guys at spots. If they don't work at a certain spot, they're going to move them. And – you know, that that's kind of what they were doing with this initial class. They're not just adding guys to add guys. But I think if you really dig into, you know, what's there and what's left from the last staff, they needed to go out and get get guys at, 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 along the defensive line. They're thin at edge when you really dig into, you know, who's helped, who's played there and who hasn't. And even, you know, the the inside linebackers, it, it's kind of the same way where, you know, you've got Henrich, you've got uh, Luke Reimer, but there's not a ton coming back behind them. So, you know, it, it's noteworthy how many guys they brought in. But when you kind of dig into it, it's, it's not surprising the amount of guys that they've gone out and gotten. So I guess my my long answer is, is no, I'm not surprised, but I, I think that's kind of by by design to bring guys in and, and see where they fit. Because even, 
you know, people are going to get hung up on the three, three, five and and the three man front. And there's so many ways that you can play that defense, even, you know, year to year, they're probably going to play it differently based on personnel. So um, I I think that's what they were trying to do on defense with the signing period was just add guys who they think could help them. Uh, You know, a bonus if it's a guy like Cam Linhart, who, you know, could potentially help you at multiple spots. Let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll dive into a player Nebraska's going to have on campus from the transfer portal this weekend, and we'll get into a little hoops talk after a pretty bad showing in East Lansing on Tuesday, and they've got a big game coming up against Minnesota. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we are back. Brunts, walk us through who Nebraska has on campus this weekend. Walter Rouse. An offensive lineman from Stanford. What do we know? Yeah, so ne- Nebraska so far has added um, uh, Ben Scott, the the transfer from Arizona State. Uh, he's going to be your center. And looking at that roster, I think you, you want to probably try to add some tackle depth. Um, they're they're going to have Walter Rousen. He was at Stanford. He's originally from Washington, D.C., a uh, four-year guy at Stanford, and Nebraska's kind of doing the elbows out recruiting right now, at least with Iowa at Oklahoma. He's going to visit Iowa first um, before he visits Nebraska, but um, that's kind of where they're at is, is you know, and I, I you, you can weigh in on this with how Nebraska's going to handle the portal recruiting going forward, but it feels like very, you know, spot specific places. Um, you know, if they can get a good offensive lineman, they'll bring in a good offensive lineman. Definitely want a wide receiver, but 
um, you know, a veteran guy like like Walter Rouse, who you know has been through it. Stanford obviously struggled during his time there, but um, a guy that would give them more positional flexibility uh, and more depth and experience um, if they would be able to land him. So um, he's going to be here Saturday and Sunday. Uh, checking out Nebraska with uh, with transfers who are mid-year enrollees being able to take official visits this week. BC, are you comfortable writing in Sharpie that Teddy Prohaska yeah. will be the left tackle for Nebraska if healthy? Uh, not in Sharpie. Um, I would do it with pen with white out right at the table. Okay. Uh, but I mean that, that one that's, step below Sharpie then. Yeah. That's it. There's a difference there because if you, you'd say, well, that means nothing if you have the white out right there, but you, you guys know if you use white out back in the day, that's embarrassing that you had to do that. It shows pretty obvious that you had to do that. So yeah, I, I, th- I feel pretty strongly if he is healthy, that he would be the left tackle, but I'm always like, yeah, you never know. Maybe this staff has another idea or, uh, somebody else materializes, but um, I've said this before about Prohaska. Um, as unfortunate as his injury was this past fall, I was worried about him. This is just me watching him this year from his first injury. And I'm not saying it was rushed or anything back. I don't want to get into that, but I just felt like he was a guy who he said to you, Schaefer. He a hundred percent. Yeah. In a hall interview. He said, like, it's a tough mental game right now for him at early in September, um, dealing with that past injury and kind of having to hop back into game action. And I was thinking when I read that, like, that's no way to live at left tackle. Like, that's tough. I mean, that's a tough position to play. And then you've got that in your mind, like those things running through it. That's very challenging. So, well, it was very disappointing that he suffered the second injury. My thought was, okay, this happened early enough in the season where, he can heal from both of these injuries all the way and he can get his mind right around it and then hopefully get a good runway into the next season. And maybe that'll work out for the best for him. Um, if that makes sense, I don't want to diminish his injury this past fall. That's that's tough when you go through that. But I, I do think this will allow him some time to clear his head and get his body completely right. And that could be a very good thing for him. Brunch, I'm going to give you a, a difficult question, so I apologize in advance. What do you think happens with Turner Corcoran in 2023? Like, it, I have no question he's going to be on the roster. I also expect that he's going to be one of your five linemen. If it feels like Teddy Prohaska would be your left tackle, do you see Corcoran ending up on the interior? And then if so, I mean, if Ben Scott's at center. It feels like we're talking about him maybe finally getting to that guard position that has probably been the spot that he needs to be at all along. Yeah, it's it's a tough question because if let's just say hypothetically they add Walter Rouse, um, I mean that allows you to move Prohaska inside. Um, Prohaska inside, or not? Not Prohaska. Sorry, Corcoran. Um, okay. The, you finally move Corcoran inside. You have Noelle coming back. Um, you probably feel okay about Lutovsky and, and his long-term potential as, as a starting guard. But, you know, you, I, I think Corcoran's a little bit farther ahead um, 
that as a lineman that, than he is right now. So I think uh, I, I think you I think you would finally get Corcoran inside, and and I think you know even the even if they don't get Rouse, I mean I think you at least have a little bit more flexibility to where you know you you could move him to right tackle if you absolutely needed to if Ben Hart's not going to be the guy there. Um, and, and I think that's just going back to Ben Scott. That's why that, that commitment was yep. so huge because it gives you so much flexibility without having to, again, shoehorn somebody into that center spot that would probably be better off helping you at guard. So I, I guess that the, my answer is it depends, but I think if you get one more tackle out of the portal, I think that, that, uh, you know, is a pretty good sign that you'd be okay moving Corcoran inside. So we know Walter Rouse, and he's visiting this weekend. And just a quick rundown on this. The way the calendar works, you can have transfer portal visitors only starting yesterday, working through Sunday. And Sunday's a quiet period, or excuse me, goes back to being a quiet period, excuse me, dead period, Monday through Thursday. And then everybody uh, can start going out, whether it's coaches or high school, junior college recruits, uh, starting on, I believe, the... 13th be the first day. So next Friday. Uh, So there's a little bit different. This is unique in the schedule. I think it started last year is the first time this popped up and they've expanded a little bit and clarified exactly what it was. Uh, So transfer portal visitors this weekend. The one we know of is Walter Rouse. If there was another player that was popping up and I'm not asking for a name, what position BC do you think it would be that Nebraska is kind of looking for right now in the transfer portal? Uh, wide receiver could be a spot. Um, you know, I think as you look at that position group, there's a lot of unproven when you take away the, uh, the slice of the pie, like the five slices out of the eight that Trey Palmer owned, um, from last year's stats. I mean, that's a lot to, to replace. So I think that's a spot where you're always looking. I mean, I think tight end, if you found a guy who absolutely fit and he had a couple of years left and he'd been around the block and you thought he's like a immediate contributor, that would be a position because tight end, we're going to, that's a different spot. The way we're going to talk about that this off season compared to like the last four years, you know, when you had the stole Austin Allen, Travis Volkolek, it all just happened in that steady stream and it was good. Um, this year, uh, Borkercher is your most experienced guy right now, really. I mean, you got it, Rollins and Fedone. Hopefully, he's healthy, but uh, tight end receiver. That's that would be my answer. Brunts, does that concern you? What BC saying about tight end for the future of oddly specific predictions? Uh, I'm going to have to get get down the line a little bit, down the roster on some of those. I think um, James Carney's going to be popping up for one of those Luke games. Lindenmeyer. Lindemeyer, yeah, it, we're we're putting into serious doubt my ability to sell tight end pick to click related merch. So that's my big concern. Um, the, that merch that we haven't designed or you know <laughs> produced. Yeah, anyway. um, it would sell like hotcakes though. I think everybody would be all about pick to click tight end. Um, but I think wide receiver is probably the biggest one. I think if you if you just kind of watch social media follows pretty much any time a wide receiver of note and even not of note hits the portal. Um, Nebraska's Nebraska's at least doing its, doing its due diligence. So I think you're going to see, 
some wide receiver portal visitors um, sooner than later, especially once you get publicly announced uh, what that final staff's going to look like. But that 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 position more than any to me is a uh, a big cause for concern. I didn't I didn't write this down in the show notes that don't actually exist, but I did think of something that we can discuss here, though I want to save the bulk of it for the next podcast. Just give me and we're going to do this real quick because I know we're trying to get out of here. Give me your initial thoughts, BC, on the last three additions to the Matt, the expected last three additions to the Matt Rule staff uh, where you're talking about Rob Dvorak and Bob Wager. Uh, and Garrett McGuire. Just real quickly, your thoughts there. We'll get brunches, then we'll dive into some basketball. Matt Rule's not worried about uh, what the perception is. Um, I think that's clear, and I'm fine with that. Like, he's not worried, like, what the public was going to say about him retaining Donovan Ryla, and he's not worried about uh, what initial reaction there might be to wait. Garrett McGuire's, like, 23, going to be 24, which causes some rental car issues. As you know, you got to be 25 to get the good deals uh, with that. But um, he says, you know, Gary McGuire is the son of Joey McGuire. And I think he, I think 24 is the new 34 with coaching. Like, I feel like they're, you're starting to see this Didn't Minnesota just hire a coach or they're going to, that's a 24 year old D line coach. Is that right? Bruns? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, you're, you're going to see more of these, these just young pups who do, they've, They've been around the game um, and studied it uh, either through their dad or whatever for their whole life, and they're ready to contribute in that way. Now, how he relates to players that are the same age or just a couple years younger, that's a fair question to ask. But um, Matt Rule told us on early signing day in the press conference that Bruns watches every day that he was going to – not the best press conference for me, by the way, for we don't have to get into it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, he said, I'm going to have a young staff, uh, but they're guys who, um, we poured energy into when they were players here or for me at Temple or Baylor or wherever. And I expect them to pour energy into the next group and they're going to be stars. So, um, I like that one. I'll let Bruns talk about like Bob, Bob Wager and stuff. And I, I think that was an interesting one just because of his Texas connections. And that gets you more into the state. Yeah, no, that's kind of following the same playbook that he's had. I mean, he hired Joey McGuire as a, you know, out of the high school ranks in Texas when he was at Baylor. McGuire's now the head coach at Texas Tech. Uh, Wager has uh, a long time successful Texas head uh, head football coach in the high school ranks. Uh, never had a losing season. His, his teams were in the playoffs year after year. And, you know, from, from what I've kind of gathered from talking to other people in Texas, he was kind of known for having really solid special teams and just being a really detail oriented coach. And he's going to help out on special teams a little bit. He's going to handle tight ends. And, you know, what, what it is, is it's a respected name in the high school ranks in Texas. He's well known down there. And so it's going to help you recruiting wise. And, and you know, I think even too, in, in the portal age, you know, having guys that have past connections with people also is really huge, too, in terms of just getting you in the door and being able to cut through uh, the noise in these really kind of quick recruitments. So it, it's, uh, you know, I, I 
understand that there's hand wringing on some of the hires and things like that, but it, I mean, it, it's basically following the blueprint that he's used other places yeah. and exactly what he said he's going to do. I mean, I, I don't think that there's been a ton of surprise there. Obviously the, the wide receiver spot, I think Mickey Joseph would have been a pretty strong candidate for that job uh, had, had things happened differently there, but um, you know, Dvorak's been, you know, talking to recruits for, you know, at least a few weeks that we know of. So th- there's not a, a ton of surprise there. The the Nebraska wide receivers who signed had an idea of who the coach was going to be uh, before they signed. So it, it's not, uh, you know, not, not like these are real knee jerk decisions here. Yeah. I, I go back to the fact that Matt rule kind of told us right off the bat, he likes to work with people that he knows people that know his system and these are all guys that have been either coached by him or been in that system for several years or have worked with him for several years. So I think it all sort of fits in that regard. All right. Basketball time. Nebraska got uh, pasted up in East Lansing. Not a great night uh, really for anything there. Kind of the opposite of how things went at home against Iowa the week before. They got their first Big Ten win there, went on the road, lost to Michigan State. Huge game, I think, BC, with Minnesota here um, this week. Nebraska, I think, has to find a a road win in there. And if they're the goal, and it should be the goal, the goal is to get to the NIT. They're going to have to find a couple wins on the road. And this Minnesota team does seem somewhat beatable, but Nebraska has to go get points. They have to have guys that can score. And that just seems to be such an issue for them. Yes, it does. I mean, they only had 17 points at half and shot 28% in that half against Michigan State. That, it was a disappointing first half because that was a game I think you legitimately thought, even the odds makers did. I mean, Michigan State at home was only a six-and-a-half-point favorite, not a huge you know spread there. And so there was a belief Nebraska's defense could keep them in it. But I thought their offensive struggles were – I mean, they were so woeful, you're going to have trouble to be in that game to begin with. But then I felt like it crept into the defensive end, actually, in the first half where they, they didn't play as good on that end of the court as they had been. Uh, second half was fine, but it was the game was gone by then. Um, that said, uh, you're right. This Saturday against Minnesota, to me, sort of always determined whether this was going to be a good week or bad week. I mean, yeah, if you had gone in and knocked off Michigan State, you could already said a good week. But that was maybe a bit of a long shot. Um, and this is a game that is not as much that. Now, Minnesota went pretty much toe-to-toe with Wisconsin the other night and um, was right in that game and just lost. So uh, it's going to be a tough one where Nebraska does have to get, you know, Wiltshire, Tomonaga, whoever, Bandamel, when they have those looks, they got to start knocking some of those down. I mean, they've had the offense is creating the shots. Yep. Guys just are not not making. You know, they, they've had open looks. And the Purdue game would have been different. Uh, if some guys had hit some wide open looks, and I know you can say that any night, but um, this this is a team that Hoiberg will acknowledge just has not shot the ball well, and it's just going to be a tough way to live if you can't knock that up like <laughs> five to eight percentage points from what it's been. They honestly need to do something like that on the offensive end. And the free throws, my God, the oh, free throws. Yeah, <laughs> that was rough. Brunch, eight you of covered, twenty. Uh, oh, sorry. No, eight of twenty is what they were. Yeah. yeah. Brunch, you covered the Iowa game. I don't know how much of the Michigan State game you watched. Like, 
Does it ever wild you how Nebraska can be such erratically different versions of themselves from night to night? Yeah, it, it's it's maddening. I mean, you in that Iowa game. I mean, Iowa missed some shots. Like the, the, Nebraska played good defensively, but I mean, there was some real open looks early that Iowa missed, and. You know, the, the one thing you can say for Nebraska was I thought they did a really good job against Iowa pushing tempo. Um, they, they took advantage of the misses. They rebounded well. And they they turned that around and, and made it into offense on the other end. And, you know, if if you're not shooting well, you're not getting out and, and getting able to run and, and do, you know, what Hoiberg really wants to do, which is really force the issue and play fast. It's just going to be tough, I think, for this team to, to generate a ton of offense, and then you're hoping that you can, you know, win a, a, a slugfest, rock, rock fight, Rutgers type game. So it, it's that's where I, I think you, you miss having one guy that you can go to. Like who's your who's your James Palmer that can get you a bucket when you need it? And as good as offensive balance is, and guys playing for each other and playing as a team. If the shots aren't going in, I think that's where you kind of need an alpha dog that can either a get to the rim and, and create for themselves, or you know hit a big shot. And they just don't uh, they, they don't have that with enough consistency. All right, gentlemen, another podcast in the books. Anything we didn't touch on that you would like to to throw out there right now? Any New Year's resolutions that you want to make public? No, but I'd like to hear more about clock management. But I'll. Uh, We'll, we'll save, save that. that. You gotta wait. That's gonna be part of an award-winning series that we'll have in the spring. Yep. I don't know who's gonna issue the awards, but we're gonna win them. So uh, BC, you got anything you want to add? No, no. I'll I'll uh, I'll keep writing uh, notes on cocktail napkins about uh, crunching the numbers on when you should call your timeouts, and we'll have something pretty complete for folks in May that they can kind of wait on. So that'll be exciting. BC <laughs> comes up to a window and slams <laughs> it on the window. Yeah. It was just going to say, have either of you had anything important you've ever written down on a cocktail napkin? (laughs) In the the age of smartphones, wouldn't you just like tap it into the notes app? Yeah. There's a lot of things that, I mean, Seinfeld probably wouldn't exist as a show if cell phones existed back then, if we're being honest. Yeah, there's a lot of premise of that show is that we're somewhere that we can't get out of and we have no way of getting ourselves out of it. Yeah. Where a phone would certainly. Don't you wish? Don't you wish you had. Maybe you do, Schaefer. Don't you wish you had a moment with a napkin where someone slid it across and they they put something big on it, like in Moneyball or whatever? Then he puts a salary on on like a little piece of paper or whatever. It slides it across. I've never had that happen in my life, but I would like it to one time. Yeah, I mean, I usually because it it seems to amount to a large amount of money is coming yeah, your way. Exactly. So I, I agree. I would enjoy this experience, but I. I don't have anything that, that compares to it, unfortunately. That's all I got. All right. Sorry. Well, with that <laughs> small talk to end our our podcast, it started with 15 minutes of banter that I'm sure we'll hear about. We are Husker 24-7, and you get what you listen to. And we will be back with more podcast content next week.
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.